President Bush today stressed the importance of funding the troops and promised to do something about the new lethal threats from Iran. Also a challenge to Prison Fellowship's faith-based program winding through the courts. Will it be reinstated? And technology is endangering your privacy. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian Worldview for Christ and Culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. My job is to protect our troops. And when we find uh, devices that are in that country that are hurting our troops, we're going to do something about it, pure and simple. That is President Bush today holding a press conference. It's his first press conference of the year. And regarding Iran, he said that the U.S. will take action against the Iranian elements which uh, he says are supplying weapons to Iraqi insurgents there in Iran, uh, there in Iraq. Uh, also, President Bush said that the Democratic-controlled House uh, is moving really too quickly in this four-day marathon debate over his Iraq plan without giving it a chance. Later this uh, week, the House of Representatives will vote on a resolution that opposes our new plan in Iraq before it has a chance to work. People are prejudging the outcome of this. We'll talk about those in just a moment. We'll, we'll also take your calls. What do you think about the press conference? Did you watch it? Uh, did President Bush do a good job? Did he address the issues that are so important to us right now? The number is 800-881-9270. And also uh, today, Prison Fellowship, uh, which is a faith-based prison ministry, uh, its program, Interchange, was actually struck down by a federal court uh, earlier, uh, actually last year. Now, uh, it is at the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and we're going to talk about uh, that case with an attorney who is representing Prison Fellowship. Also, uh, do you ever get the nagging feeling that your privacy is being uh, invaded every time you make an online purchase? We're going to talk about that and take your calls. But first, uh, I noticed a very important item today. You know, it's freezing outside and uh, even snowing a little bit. I'm sitting here in the studio with a red muffler around my neck because I'm still cold and I wore red in honor of Valentine's Day. By the way, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, but I found this report today that the Subcommittee on Energy and Air Quality uh, was going to hold a hearing today. It was going to be held in the Rayburn Office Building in Washington. Washington, D.C. It was actually postponed uh, due to inclement weather. Uh, that hearing, of course, was entitled Climate Change, 
are greenhouse gas emissions from human activities contributing to a warming of the planet? Uh, that uh, hearing will be rescheduled to a date and time to be announced later. It's supposed to be uh, a low of about 18 degrees in Washington, D.C. Also, uh, in New York City on Valentine's Day, uh, really the, the buzz out there is if you need to buy flowers or chocolate for your Valentine on Wednesday, you're on your own especially if you don't have much money. But the condoms are free, courtesy of New York City. And, of course, uh, New York uh, taking advantage of the holiday for lovers. Uh, Mayor Michael Bloomberg's, uh, Bloomberg's administration is actually unveiling the official city condom in Midtown Manhattan today. Volunteers handing out condoms free at 5th Avenue and 50th Street in New York City. It's a condom program to distribute 1.5 million free condoms each month, but there's a different wrapper uh, that's on the condoms today. Uh, this new wrapper will allow for tracking the effectiveness of the effort. Uh, when you think about Valentine's Day, you think about romance, uh, but I think uh, New York City thinks that most people are thinking about just pure and simple sex. What do you think about it? 800-881-9270. Come and join me. Tell me what you think about uh, President Bush's press conference today, if you watched it this morning, I did. Uh, also, uh, what do you think about this policy in New York City, handing out condoms? Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Uh, well, let's go back to President Bush's press conference. It was a very important conference, the first one of the year. Of course, there has been a lot of back and forth about uh, whether the Iranian government is supplying uh, directly weapons to fighters in Iraq. President Bush is pretty certain about it. He says that Iran's Revolutionary Guards elite Quds Force uh, has supplied impro uh, improvised explosive devices, or IEDs, uh, which are dangerous and really hurting our troops there in Iraq. They're being used by the insurgents in Iraq. I can say with certainty that the Quds Force, a part of the Iranian government, has provided these uh, sophisticated IEDs that have harmed our troops. And, of course, uh, President Bush is responding to other accusations, saying that he is uh, really sort of stirring things up and provoking Iran. To say it is provoking Iran uh, is, a, uh, is just a wrong way to characterize the commander-in-chief's decision to do what is necessary to protect our soldiers in harm's way. You notice President Bush calling himself the commander-in-chief uh, as the Congress is debating his policies, policies he's already sent uh, General David Petraeus over to Iraq to implement. Now, he uh, continued to talk about the fact that there is clear proof that Iran's elite military guard is helping Iraqi insurgents. He says he is not trying to create a reason for a war with Iran. The idea that somehow we're manufacturing the idea that the Iranians are providing IEDs is preposterous. Uh, we are taking your calls here on the program. The number is 800-881-9270. Uh, we do already have a call from Jack in Dallas. Jack, go ahead. Hi. Um, I wanted to uh, bring up a uh, item in the Old Testament. You know, many times in Kings and Chronicles, you'll find that uh, when the uh, nation of Israel uh, did evil in the eyes of the Lord or disobeyed God, 
uh, every time, actually, they were punished, and usually it was by another nation that would come against them and uh, and overtake them in one way or another. And so for the few of us in this uh, country that have read the Old Testament there, uh, know that's a fact, and that's just a, another basic principle that, that happens to a nation. And, uh, and I would say that... Uh, it wasn't a coincidence that uh, New York doing the condom thing and the uh, Twin Towers that were destroyed, um, uh, you know, that kind of judgment follows evil. You know, there's been a lot written today, uh, lately, about uh, the fact that uh, those who adhere to uh, radical Islam, that are fundamentalist Muslims, and many Muslims, are very disgusted with uh, the moral climate in the United States, or at least uh, the uh, the message that is portrayed overseas, that uh, we are you know into pornography, uh, that our movies uh, basically just lead people down a path of free sex. Uh, the sexual revolution is you know rampant in this country, and so when you see them giving out condoms in New York City, uh, it does tie together, I think, in a sense with uh, quote unquote why they hate us. Uh, why they hate us. It's not a good excuse uh, for the terrorism that is taking place and foisted against us and others around the world. Uh, but you do see a tie there, and I appreciate that comment uh, and that insight, Jack. Not really an excuse for the terrorism or anything, but, um, and, and you know, I mean, if you st- stand back and look at the evil that's that's going on and that's allowed in this country, you know, it's just a falling away from God. It's a rebellion against God and his principles, I think, that we're seeing being carried out. And uh, so that judgment, you know, just slowly uh, takes effect on us, and, and whether it's by Muslims or whoever it might be, uh, that uh, it, it seems to be inevitable. If we start falling away from God, just like the Israelites did time and time again, you know, they repented, God would restore them, and then they'd fall away and start worshiping idols, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and then, you know. Anyway, that's all I have Appreciate your call, Jack. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, more than 100,000 of New York's 8.2 million residents are living with HIV or AIDS. So, of course, the mayor is focusing on reducing that, and uh, he thinks that this uh, idea of giving out condoms will do it. It reminds me of the uh, the battle that's taking place here in Texas over the human papillomavirus vaccine, uh, where the governor has actually mandated this uh, now for uh, children, young girls entering uh, the sixth grade. And, you know, it seems to me that they're using the wrong fix for uh, really the uh, immoral mindset, the free sex uh, that's been encouraged by Planned Parenthood and others uh, in America. Uh, It's the wrong message. And the right message, of course, is purity and abstinence. Let's go to Diane in Royce City. Hi, Diane. Thanks for calling. Hi there. I'm just calling to basically rebuke the last guy. Uh, You know, if God was bringing judgment against us for wrongdoing. Uh, a lot more places would have been destroyed than the Twin Towers. Uh, you know, uh, I uh, the people that are attack, attacking us because we're back in Israel and because we're Christians and they want to wipe out Christians and the Jews, and that's why they attack, not because uh, New York is handing out condoms. 
Thank you. Okay, thank you, Diane. Uh, I think, you know, a better point maybe to make is that the terrorists have a lot of motivations for reasons why they hate us. And they do talk about one of those reasons. And that reason is uh, that we don't adhere to the moral principles that we say we believe in our Bible and that uh, they uh, often believe in their Koran. Uh, whether this is a judgment from God, uh, that's another story. So thanks for your call, Diane. We appreciate it. We really can't say one way or another whether or not uh, the, t- the attack on uh, the Twin Towers and on the Pentagon is God's judgment. We just know it was evil uh, that the terrorists uh, would attack us in that way and uh, you know, there are so many other attacks around the world that take place. Let's go back now uh, to President Bush's press conference. He also talked about Iraq, and he talked about this four-day uh, marathon debate taking place now in the House of Representatives. Uh, the Senate has already done so, uh, condemning and criticizing uh, what President Bush is doing and the fact that he has already sent uh, the general to uh, implement his plan in Iraq, the troop surge and the other changes that are taking place there in Iraq to try to improve things. On that subject and on the House resolution, President Bush said Congress has a responsibility to those in uniform in Iraq. Our troops are counting on their elected leaders in Washington, D.C., to provide them with the support they need to do their mission. And uh, President Bush also talking about uh, this situation uh, in Iraq and the marathon uh, debate. He said the Democratic-controlled House is moving too quickly by debating his Iraq plan without giving it a chance. Later this uh, week, the House of Representatives will vote on a resolution that opposes our new plan in Iraq before it has a chance to work. People are prejudging the outcome of this. I found it very interesting to read the comments of one of the Republican congressmen. He is uh, John Shattuck of, of, Shattuck of Arizona. He said, if we let Democrats force us into a debate on the surge or on the current situation in Iraq, we lose. Well, it looks like they are losing because it's happening. Uh, and he said that what we really should be debating is the global threat of the radical Islamic movement. It seems absurd to me uh, to think that uh, this threat exists and uh, that our soldiers are dying in Iraq because of radical Islamofascism. Iranians are influencing this and some of these radical uh, elements are influencing it. And yet uh, the Congress is debating about whether uh, a principled measure Uh, that the president has put forward to deal with this is the right thing or the wrong thing to do, undermining the commander-in-chief. Well, uh, next up, you know, what is the best way to make sure prisoners, when they are freed, commit no additional crimes? Well, it's faith-based programs, yet they're being challenged and struck down in courts. We're going to talk about it right after this. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture in the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back to Jerry Johnson Live. I'm Penna Dexter sitting in with Dr. Johnson, uh, for Dr. Johnson today. And, uh, you know, uh, when you look at prisoners uh, who are serving time in our prisons in this, uh, in this country, uh, often there's a risk that uh, when they get out, they will go on to commit additional crimes, and it's called recidivism. Uh, what do you do about it? Well, the best cure for recidivism is faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And Prison Fellowship is all about that. As a matter of fact, uh, they go into prisons and they have some great programs that are actually reaping wonderful results with regard to this problem. And yet, uh, there have been some challenges. And one of those challenges took place uh, in a prison in Iowa to the interchange program. Actually, a judge struck down and shut down the program and forced Prison Fellowship to pay back some of the government monies that uh, we were uh, added to this program through the faith-based initiative. Well, this is uh, being challenged and going up the uh, court system. It's sort of winding its way through the system. Yesterday, a three-judge panel at the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals heard the case, and uh, with us to discuss it is one of the attorneys for Prison Fellowship, Anthony Piccarello of the Beckett Fund. Anthony, thanks for being with me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Anthony, explain the case. We've discussed it before with Mark Early of Prison Fellowship, but tell me about the interchange program and the challenge by Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Well, as you mentioned, the interchange program is a, a, a wonderful program that helps prisoners reintegrate into society, and it provides rehabilitation services that are vitally needed in order to combat the problem of recidivism that you were just talking about. Recently, the Justice Department released statistics that one in every 32 Americans, as of the end of 2005, is in jail or on parole, which is shocking. Um, And most folks who are in prison eventually get out, and um, they need as much help as they can get to sort of reintegrate. And that's what the program is all about. there are prison systems all across the country that are looking for creative ways to deal with this problem, and Iowa is one of them. And Iowa uh, contracted with the, the good folks at Interchange Freedom Initiative and Prison Fellowship in order to provide those services with a faith-based component. Um, but the government was careful, as it should, uh, not to use the government funds for the religious component of the program. And it so there's another out. component to it? I'm sorry? There's another component to it besides there's, a religious component? Yeah, there's, there's religious stuff, and then there's also the same kind of rehabilitation services that the government itself provides in the ordinary course. The government has rehabilitation programs for things like substance abuse and anger management and um, all kinds of other things that it, that it does in order to help prisoners, but those things are kind of only, um, you know, not, not terribly effective. They're a little bit effective, but not nearly as effective as as the same sort of curriculum, but combined with, um, essentially with the gospel. So, Mm -hmm. 
Um, those two things combined have been a powerful combination, and some folks um, haven't liked it and have sued um, in order to block the funding. And as you mentioned, they, they won at the trial court level, and they actually got the court, they convinced the court to order uh, prison fellowship to cough up all of the money that the state had given to pay for the secular part of the program. How much is that? Over a million and a half dollars, $1.7 million. And it's the first time any court has awarded that kind of a of a remedy in an Establishment Clause case. It's totally unprecedented. Uh, and that was one of the, the key grounds on appeal. It was one of the things that the court was very, very interested in yesterday. And uh, it sounds to me like the I mean, you can never quite predict, but at the same time, it seemed as if the court was very skeptical about that remedy, um, and we're hopeful about the, the prospects as to that, and, and as to the rest of the case as well. Um, you know, the, the court issued a, back in June, issued a 140-page order, which is, again, very, very unusual, um, and kind of, you know, stuck it to, to prison fellowship and IFI in the state of Iowa, wherever it could, um, and that, that order was the subject of yesterday's appeal, and Again, the the judges on the panel were appropriately skeptical of it. All right, I understand uh, that Sandra Day O'Connor, former Supreme Court justice, is one of the judges on the panel. Uh, How does that happen? That's right. Uh, It's a little bit of an unusual twist, uh, and it's kind of exciting in a way, um, because when when Supreme Court justices retire, if their health allows for it, they are uh, they often sit by designation, as it's as it's called, on courts of appeals. Uh, They eventually kind of substitute in. And um, that's exactly what's happened with Justice O'Connor. She's been doing that in different places across the country, in California, Philadelphia, and uh, now for this case in St. Louis. She Lewis. kind of misses being a judge, I guess. Uh, what's that? Yeah, I, I've actually heard, you know, in recent reports that uh, she actually hadn't planned on retiring when she did, um, and she, she only retired when she did because she heard Rehnquist was planning on sticking around for another term. Uh, but then, of course, he died shortly thereafter. Cause she didn't want there to be, and apparently it's just generally they didn't want there to be two vacancies at once. Mm-hmm. So they were going to sort of take turns. And so she took her first turn, but then he died. So we did end up with two vacancies at once, and she kind of apparently uh, you know, wanted to continue doing some of this work. And that's probably part of the reason why she's... Did she uh, ask any questions? She normally asks a lot of questions. Yeah, she did. Um, she was fairly active. The bench was, was reasonably active, and, and one of the things that she really focused on uh, was the remedy that I mentioned. Um, she even described it as she considered it extreme, uh, which is one of the things, again, that gives us encouragement that that, that piece at least uh, will be reversed. But we think there's sort of plenty for the court to choose from in terms of uh, going after this very, very bad decision from the, the trial court uh, in Iowa. So um, we're hopeful. Anthony Piccarello is with me. He is uh, the Beckett Fund Vice President and General Counsel. He made arguments for the Beckett Fund on behalf of Prison Fellowship and the Interchange Freedom Program, IFI. Uh, and uh, Anthony, um, there are really, in my mind, two things at stake here. One is uh, the safety of the public uh, from prisoners who are released and then go back and commit crimes again. Yeah. And this program uh, protects public safety. So in a sense, you have this first federal uh, judge, Robert Pratt, uh, endangering the public. Secondly, religious freedom is at stake. Do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, uh, the, even, even Judge Pratt recognized that the purpose of this program was principally to avoid recidivism, to you know, help, prevent, um, help prevent people who have been prisoners from going back out and committing crimes again. And notwithstanding that, uh, he still found that the program was unconstitutional um, for a series of other reasons, again, which we think are really deeply flawed. 
The other key thing is that the court, you know, uh, as you say, there are some very, very important religious freedom issues that are much, much broader than this case and than the problem of recidivism, things that have a lot to do with the ability of the faith-based initiative more broadly to kind of continue to gather momentum. Um, and as we talked about, the remedy is one of the really important things uh, in that regard, because when you issue such a crushing remedy <laughs> um, to a group... This would uh, really harm prison fellowship, a, yeah. a $1.5 million judgment. It can harm prison fellowship, and the other thing is it harms the broader initiative, because let's say you're a faith-based service provider out there, and you might want to cooperate with the government in terms of trying to get some of these big social problems tackled. But if you think to yourself, hmm, I could enter into this contract, I could spend years providing services, and I could get paid for them, and then five, six, seven years down the line, I can end up having to fight it in court and, and end up losing where I've got to cough up the money back you just think to yourself, at the beginning of the process, I'm not even going to bother. Forget I'm not it. even going to bid on this contract. I'm not even going to participate in the process. And that's exactly, frankly, what we think the people at Americans United for Separation of Church and State are after. They're trying to scare people out of participating. Um, and that's one of the key you know, religious freedom issues here. Um, and there are all kinds of other things. I mean, the, the court made some horrendous um, rulings about sort of what an evangelical Christian is, and how it's inherently discriminatory and inherently hostile to people of other faiths. And it's just, you know, stuff that courts just as a general subject shouldn't be getting into. But then the court got into it and then unsurprisingly got it wrong to boot. So it was just, it's just a nightmare. And it's 140 pages that we hope just end up in the, in the dustbin of history. In the trash can. Yeah. Okay, Anthony, uh, what is next? Because a three-judge panel of the yeah. Eighth Circuit heard it. So yeah. what happens after this? Well, uh, essentially, now we wait. Um, we wait and we pray. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And essentially, the decision, you, you can never quite predict. I mean, they, the judges, uh, unlike attorneys, don't work on deadlines, so they have as much time as they might like. Um, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is in the Midwest, is you know, relatively efficient and not completely overburdened, so there's a good chance that we'll see a decision within three to six months. Then does the full court uh, possibly hear this, the full Eighth well, Circuit? The way, you know, this is, a, this is a very important case, and depending upon the outcome, there's a very good chance that whoever doesn't win at this stage will seek uh, review by the entire Eighth Circuit. Um, but there's also a, a possibility, again, almost regardless of which way it comes down, that um, the, the loser will seek review from the United States Supreme Court. So both of those are possibilities. Uh, and again, it all depends on, on how things uh, shake out at this, at this stage that we're waiting for next. Well, we will certainly be watching it, and we'll come back to you to uh, keep us updated on it, Anthony. Thanks so much for being with us, and thanks for your good work there at the Beckett Fund. Thank you so much. Studies from the University of Pennsylvania and also uh, from the state of Texas, where the IFI program also operates, found that uh, uh, IFI graduates had recidiv- uh, recidivism rates of half of those of their non-IFI counterparts. This type of faith-based program really works, and that's why these organizations like Americans United for the Separation of Church and State are going after them, and they're trying to do it preemptively in a sense. Uh, If they get prison fellowship, then they will stop others, as Anthony said, from even delving into this faith-based way of taking care of some of the ills of society. And it's really the only way that really works. God, God's way is the right way. Well, next up, uh, do you ever buy something online and wonder if you're letting go of a lot of personal
personal information uh, that could come back to bite you? And is that really a wise thing to do? Do we give up privacy for convenience? Sometimes it's an uncomfortable feeling, but uh, we might feel that it's just worth it. Our next guest has written a book about this, and uh, he's done some research on it. He is Dave Holzman, and he's going to talk about the seven sins against privacy. We'll talk about that next on Jerry Johnson Live. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Penna Dexter, sitting in on this chilly afternoon for Dr. Jerry Johnson. You know, the question that we are going to address in this segment is are we losing our privacy and is it worth it? As a matter of fact, I'd like to know what you think about that. So we'll take your calls a little bit later in the program. Is it worth it? Uh, you know, technology that's really been uh, in place and advancing uh, since the 1980s have actually had a drastic impact on our privacy. That's really the subject of the book um, of our next guest, and the book is called Privacy Lost. And, you know, Marlon Brando once said, privacy is not something that I'm merely entitled to. It's an absolute prerequisite. And Louis Brandeis said, privacy is the right to be alone, the most comprehensive of rights, and the right most valued by civilized man. You know, as uh, I look back on uh, my career and looking at public policy issues, privacy has been an issue for conservatives, and many conservatives have been concerned about government policies and that they would invade our privacy. And then uh, we look at uh, what we do online and we wonder, why are we even worried about the government? We're giving away our information right and left. Do you feel like certain advances in technology are invading your privacy and your security? Our next guest does think so. His name is David Holzman. He was a cryptographic analyst and submariner for the United States Navy, an intelligence analyst at the Defense uh, Special Missile and Astronautics Center, and also a scientist at IBM. He was also a technology analyst at Booz Allen and Hamilton. He's written this book, Privacy Lost. And David, thank you for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, with this book, you are it's comprehensive, uh, but you list the seven sins of privacy, and uh, we're not going to list all those sins, but which one is being committed when I uh, buy something online with my debit card? Well, it, it depends on what somebody does with it. One of the things about buying something online with a debit card, though, I should point out, is that you don't have any legal protections. Uh, I think a lot of people think that it's the same thing as a credit card, but if somebody should say, uh, retrieve your credit card, your debit card number somehow, and then use it. You don't have the fifty-dollar protection kind of thing that you do with credit cards, and a lot of people have been finding that out in the last few years. So, number uh, one piece of advice today is uh, when you buy something online, use a credit card and not a debit card. Never ever use a debit card online. Okay, so that's uh, one I think big way that people give away their privacy online uh, every day because I'm sure that. Uh, most people or many people use a debit card online. Okay, I have another question. Sure. Uh, online sites uh, for young people, MySpace and Facebook, how do they invade privacy? Well, they're almost self-invasive in some ways. There's, there's sort of a, a cultural thing going on with, I think, the younger generation where they, um, they're willing to expose more about themselves. 
so when they use, and I, I have five kids um, that are all college age, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm unfortunately used to this. And Facebook is the one uh, specifically for college kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. My, um, my, my youngest daughter uh, goes to a school in, in Virginia, and she recently had a problem. She's an art student, and she made a flippant comment on her blog, um, which was sort of a semi-pseudonymous blog, and uh, she said, so if I don't get accepted into a program, I'll I don't know, kill myself or something along that line. And, um, and she meant it as a joke because only her friends read it. And she was called into the administration's office because they had found they, somebody reported that some student in the school had said this. And they tracked it down and figured out it was her and called her in and threatened her. You know, this is a, I have another concern about these sites, and that is that uh, young people are going to reveal information that they say they think is okay. They don't mind handing out this information, and whether their judgment is good at this point or not uh, is another matter. But, you know, coming back 20, 30, 40 years later, you have revealed something on your site that, you know, you're being considered for a job, for political office, or whatever, and you wish you had never put that out for the world to see. Uh, do you think that's a concern? Oh, yeah, except I don't think it's 20 or 30 years. I think it's probably a lot shorter time frame. I, I think of these sites kind of like digital tattoos, you know. Uh, it probably seems like a good idea when they, when they do it, but then they're going to regret it for a long, long time afterward. And it might not be so easy to remove either. The, uh, the problem with this, this stuff is, is we leave traces of ourselves even inadvertently uh, through just you know, using credit cards and courtesy cards in supermarkets and uh, speed pass things on toll roads and, and, and now the RFID chips, which I'll talk more about in a little while, but they're going into passports and other things. So you, you can't help that, but you, you compound it when you put the real personal information on things like MySpace and Facebook, which is another one. Um, it, it seems to be a generational issue. Uh, Zogby just did a poll they released two weeks ago and they said that there was a substantial difference in expectations of privacy between, say, 18 to 24-year-olds and what I would call baby boomers. Most baby boomers uh, feel that they have an entitlement to privacy and, and a right to privacy, and most younger people don't even think it even exists. Are we losing our privacy, and is it worth it? We're talking about it with uh, our guest, David Holtzman, the author of Privacy Lost, How Technology is Endangering Your Privacy. Do you have questions for David Holtzman? Uh, Give us a call, 1-800-881-9270. Do you have uh, concerns uh, that you are uh, losing your privacy or that your children are doing so? And David, uh, you mentioned some uh, invasions of privacy. For instance, those cards we use at the grocery store to give us a discount, and they really want us to use this because they can track then our uh, purchases and come back and uh, advertise and use it. To, it's sort of like a, a, a technique for data mining. What is the real risk there? Well, the, the, the risk is, is fairly large, and both the government and um, commercial industry uses these things. And the way the game works is you've got all this information about all of us, and you know, I'm David Holtzman over here in this record, and then there's another guy named David Holtzman. And what they want to do is they want to figure out which one of those people I am and then consolidate the records. And there's companies that do that. There's a company called Axiom in Conway, Arkansas, that's probably the biggest at that. And then you have ChoicePoint and Experian also. So what, what they want to do is they want to get some identifying information to link them together. The minimal information would be, well, the best information would be a Social Security number, obviously. The minimal information would be a phone number, which is why a lot of stores ask people for their phone number 
my advice is just to absolutely refuse to do that. They can't make you do it, and, and they'll just back down uh, every time I've ever done it anyway. And by using the phone number, they can cross-index the records. So then when you look at things like the courtesy cards in supermarkets, what that does is that creates a, um, a very detailed profile of, of who we are. If you think about the kind of things, you know, you even do this when you go to a checkout counter and, you know, maybe you'll peep over at somebody else's cart and you can, I don't know if you ever play that little game, you can sort of guess what kind of person they are from what they buy in the supermarket. Now imagine you could see everything they bought for the last five years and match it up with your phone records and your travel. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty pervasive and, and potentially, even if you have nothing to hide, it can, it can really be invasive. Um, there's been a couple of legal cases. There was a, a woman a couple of years ago in San Francisco who slipped on a, a wet floor in a supermarket and sued the supermarket for uh, medical damages. And at her trial, the, um, the, um, the uh, store's lawyers introduced evidence. They introduced charts of, of uh, her beer and wine buying habits over a couple of years. And, um, and they showed a graph and said, well, she bought beer every Friday, and this was a Saturday, therefore she was probably drinking. Unbelievable. We are taking your calls for David Holtzman, 1-800-881-9270. David, uh, what about the, you mentioned also uh, the toll booths, and we have lots of those here in this area. Uh, could this be combined with sort of a GPS uh, technology to uh, track our whereabouts? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, um, <clears throat> there are a few states, I know New Jersey's one of them, where when you, um, the state can measure when you get on and off, certain exits with those transponders, and then they do a little math and figure out what speed you must have been going, and if the speed's substantially over 55, then they uh, mail you a ticket through the mail for speeding, and this is, you know, this is starting to become a problem. Now, then you add GPS technology. Several rental car companies are putting hidden GPS devices in the rental cars. There was a case in Washington State a couple of, I guess, 18 months ago, where a woman was um, fined by the um, by the rental car company because she took the car out of state because they were secretly tracking her. And this, this morning I was looking on the Internet and I found there's a, a place for, I think it's $650, where you can buy a hidden GPS, uh, GPS device that you can hide and you can plant it on the car, you know, if you want to track your kid or your spouse or something. And then you go to a website and you can see a little blip moving around on the map and see where their car is. David Holtzman is with me. David, we have lots of people waiting to talk to you. Can you hold over for another segment? Oh, sure. Be glad to. Great. We are taking your calls at 800-881-9270, and we are talking with the author of Privacy Lost, David Holtzman, about your privacy rights, and uh, we'd love to hear your questions and comments. Uh, Paul and Frisco, you're first up, and uh, then Evan will be there. Paul, very quickly, uh, just uh, Give us your concern, and then we will let David respond after the break. Okay. My concern is that I think a big part of this problem is that the United States, it's like the default position is corporate America can do as they please, and it's, you know, consumers have to try to stop them, whereas in Europe, the default position is they need to get permission. My question to Mr. Holzman, since he's been in this area, what are the best organizations to team up with and to support to try to change the laws and, you know, get this turned around? David, uh, you can start giving us those organizations uh, before the break. Okay. Well, there, there, there aren't a lot of good ones. There's a group called EFF, which is Electronic uh, Freedom Foundation, and they're more about Internet uh, technology, electronic kind of rights. There's a group called EPIC. Um, the ACLU occasionally gets involved, but not really. There, there's, a, there's a big gap here, and I think there's a, an especially large gap 
coming from conservative organizations who I, I think would actually be more um, amenable to protecting these rights. David Holzman is our guest. Thank you very much for your call, Paul. And we will take your calls after the break, 800-881-9270. We're talking about your privacy. Former Attorney General John Ashcroft said, if you hire a billboard and you write what you're saying on the billboard, I don't think it's an invasion of privacy for the FBI driving by to look at the billboard and read it. Is this true? We'll talk about it with David Holzman right after this. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. I'm Penn Dexter. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. And we continue to take your calls about privacy issues. The number is 800-881-9270. David Holtzman is our guest. His book is Privacy Lost. And David, I have a question about medical privacy. Sure. Because, uh, you know, when you look at this move toward giving people a health identifier number that uh, sort of coordinates all your health records into one, in a sense, it seems like a really good idea because if you got in an accident, uh, it could immediately be found out what uh, your alert to, your blood type, all of this. All doctors would know what other doctors know. And in a sense, it makes a lot of, uh, you know, it just really makes good sense. Uh, what are the problems and the, uh, the pitfalls with a health identifying number for people? Well, it's like there's a lot of issues in privacy that sound fairly reasonable at face value. And then when you examine them, it comes down to a matter of trust. Do you trust all the people involved in the system to do the right things and not abuse the information? If the answer is yes, then it's probably a good thing. If the answer is no, then you have to have safeguards on it. And in the, specifically in the case of medical information, um, the, since um, doctors often do share information because of the insurance companies, managed health care companies um, are notoriously uh, permeable in the way that they pass information around. Now, where we're headed with this, I think, is, is uh, probably chipping human beings and planting a small chip uh, either, either on you or in a, a card that would contain all the information digitally. Hmm. Uh, that's the RFID chip that you were referring to? Yeah. Maybe if I talk about that, that would help. Maybe your listeners would be interested in that. The, and the RFID is the same kind of a chip that goes in the easy pass things on the toll roads, but it's very small. Um, there's two kinds. One's active and one's passive. And the passive ones are supposedly detectable from a couple of feet, but in actuality they can be detected from about 30 feet. 
all U.S. passports are going to have these things by the end of end of the year, and there that means you'll you know you'll swipe the passport and from a couple inches away it'll pull all the information out. The problem is as you walk through the airport, somebody might be able to pull the information out remotely uh, from you. Now what's happening is a lot of merchants are planning on going to RFID instead of barcode because it's more convenient for inventory control. Walmart was going to mandate them a couple years ago, and they and they backed off for a while. But uh, as the price goes down, they're going to do that. Now, the problem with that is, is so you had a pair of jeans, um, and they put a little chip in the material somewhere, very small, and you wouldn't see it. So then you walk out of the store, you come back in six months later, they know it's you. Oh, I don't amazing. know if that's bad or good, but it's creepy. Yes, it is creepy. How do you feel about it, ladies and gentlemen? The number is 800-881-9270. Let's go to Evan in Dallas. Hi, Evan. Hello. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Yvonne. Go Yvonne, ahead. It's okay. Hi, David. Hello. I, I've just been listening, and I just wanted you to know that I really totally agree with what you're saying. And I think the sad thing about what's happening in this society with privacy and, you know, people, you know, really not being able to be free as citizens is really getting critical, and most people can't see it. I, I was at Kroger the other day, and I don't have a, a card that you scan, and... For people that don't have a card to scan, the prices on the meat products was almost 50% higher. And if you had a card that you scan, then you pay another price for what you get. And this is kind of like how they're forcing people, you know, into getting these cards. But I really think that, you know, Americans really need to wake up and just say no. There are trade-offs. There are trade-offs, David. And, you know, I don't, I like getting 50% off when I buy something at the grocery store. And in a sense, uh, it's worth it to me. What about that? But but, but off? Or did some magic moment happen where they just increase the price for the people who won't take the courtesy cards? See, I think it's the latter. Hmm. Because grocery stores are notoriously low-margin businesses. I mean, a grocery store that that gets usually has one to two percent margin if they're lucky. So I don't think they can afford to willy nilly slash prices like that. So what they really do is they pass it on to the people who don't want to give it. And the reason that it's worth a certain amount of money to them to give you the discount, it's not. I think people just assume it's to keep you as a good customer. The reality is that most of them sell your information. Um, a, a record on a human being is worth anywhere from twenty to two hundred fifty dollars depending how much information you have on it. And there's a huge primary and secondary market in trading this kind of consumer information. There was, uh, there was another case a couple of years ago where uh, a young lady was being stalked with these very unusual, very um, intimate kind of uh, letters from somebody. And she couldn't figure out who it was, and the police couldn't figure it out. And they finally brought the feds in, and they found out that the person who was stalking her was, was a prisoner who was in a maximum security prison and that the prisoners were being used by a direct marketing company uh, uh, to uh, key in information from coupons and other kind of supermarket offers, and they were creating these huge dossiers on on people who sent things in, and the guy saw the dossier, which even has pictures, because you can get pictures from a lot of the DMVs, and uh, the guy took a a liking to the the woman's picture and took the dossier and and hit it in his cell and used it to send her uh, smashing notes. Okay, John in Louisville, very quickly, what's your comment? Well, I think as long as our uh, the systems aren't used for um, abusing, they're, they're used for what they're intended for, for uh, spying on people that need to be sought after, that that's okay. Uh, and this is this things to come from um, revelations that the mark will be implanted um, 
And as long as we're Christians, we shouldn't be uh, afraid of it. We just know that it's a, it's a sign of the end times. You know, there are so many issues I wish we could uh, cover today with regard to privacy, uh, David. And uh, one of the questions that I haven't had a chance to a- ask you and probably won't be able to is uh, the whole Patriot Act and some of our national wiretapping, the NSA wiretapping issue, for instance. And, you know, this type of technology that uh, can protect us from terrorist activity and yet seems to invade our privacy. And uh, we actually don't have time to discuss that. But I do want to go back to this RFID issue that you mentioned, because you said, you know, this uh, could be put on a card and we could be identified through this card. But there's also the possibility that this could actually be implanted into our our physical body. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, there's a company in Florida called Verichip that's been the first company approved by the FDA for human implantable chips, and they're starting to roll out products. The initial product line is is supposedly going to be for a door entry, so security companies, you know, you have these cards to get into office buildings, well, pretty soon you'll just wave your arm or your hand, and the chip that's implanted under your skin will act as the, uh, the, the key to let you into the building. Um, they're already using uh, chip implants on, on animals. So, uh, farmers use them occasionally for prized livestock. And there are uh, at least one company I know is offering to put chips in children so that they can be tracked also. You know, again, they sound like reasonable things, but it's, it's not, it, doesn't take, uh, it doesn't take someone who's paranoid to think of all the bad things that could happen with this. Well, it certainly doesn't. There are so many issues with regard to privacy, and uh, we need to have you back, David, in order to discuss those because we're about out of time. But David Holzman has been our guest today. He is the author of Privacy Lost, How Technology is Endangering Your Privacy. David, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, the Bible says that someday we will neither buy nor sell unless we take the mark of the beast. David Holzman discussed the bear chip uh, that might be implanted under our skin uh, that would identify us, would have our information. Would we use this to buy or sell? Would this be the mark of the beast? Uh, We ought to be concerned about these things and looking at these things. Sometimes technology goes ahead of us. Join us tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.